Hello and welcome to American Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Simonson. On this episode, we take a look at what it's like to be a creative in small town North America with Joel Janikowski, an independent musician and paraeducator from North Dakota. Joel is a singer-songwriter. He talks about living in North Dakota, what the local music scene was like growing up, and what it's like now. He talks about balancing his passion for music with being a father and developing his career in education. This podcast was recorded in January of 2020, so if you'd like to learn what Joel is up to now, feel free to check him out on his social media or website. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, and if you have the time, leave a review and follow us on social media. And now for our interview with Joel Janikowski. How you doing, Joel? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for being with us here on American Podcast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So tell us a bit about your music right now and, and what you're doing with it. Well, uh, with my music, um, it's it's more of like a, a hobby, a really passionate hobby because I'm, I'm a dad. Uh, I'm a paraprofessional at a school. I'm also a, a graphic and web designer on the side. I don't necessarily uh, tour or perform a lot, but a lot of it for me is just a um, it's a creative outlet. And it's something that I love to do. And honestly, I hope I get to do it for the rest of my life. I love it so much. If you had the ability, would you do it completely full time and not do the paraeducating or, you um, know, of course, you'd be the dad. But yeah, yeah, the dad part would never end. But um, when it comes to that, and I've, I've felt like this even ever since I was, you know, a teenager doing this stuff, I don't think I ever would. Um because one, I, I enjoy it so much, I don't ever want it to become a job. Um, there were suggestions for me to go to recording um, programs like in college and stuff. And I just, I knew in my gut that this was nothing I wanted to become a job. Uh, I never wanted to to dislike or get bored or, you know, tired of this thing. So um, definitely not. Like even if there were record contracts I don't think I ever would. I want to just kind of be able to do it as something as a creative outlet and something that's like, I guess, yeah, just a form of expression and a way to connect with others. To me, that is everything. Wow. That's pretty cool. So you don't perform very much right now. How do you connect with people with your music at this point? Well, you know, and I don't perform very much, especially not lately. I've been settling down, trying to, you know, um, get a house and, you know, have a kid, which now I'm kind of there. Uh, you know, have a, a good job, which I'm now kind of there. And um, and with that, now that things are kind of settling down, I'd like to do a few shows, but they're going to be, you know, local. They're going to be in my my hometown. And one of the things with music, you know, it, it, it can be kind of disposable and that makes it a little tricky. But what I like to do is just use what we have right now on the Internet, which is things like Bandcamp, social media, telling friends, uh, spreading the word around and kind of connecting that way. So a mixture of word and mouth and digital promotion. Okay. Okay. So, so the internet is, and technology is, is helping you with in your a, music. In, in a way. And in, in my, my experience, you know, in the past it was very different, but right now, um, yeah, if, if I didn't have this outlet, I wouldn't really have anything other than, you know, just talking with people in word of mouth. Technology has allowed me to put my stuff out there efficiently and easily but also too there's a lot of us on you know on the internet and also also kind of becomes like this uh like mark Marin says it it's it becomes like a content heap where people are kind of like you know uh, uh trudging their way through loads and loads of content so you can kind of easily get lost so um it, it becomes a very tricky situation um but yeah i, I use technology best i can and word of mouth best i can Okay. Can you describe your music for us? Like what kind of styles do you enjoy doing? Well, um, I guess I would say my older stuff uh, was more like acoustic singer songwriter, kind of like, I guess you compare like a mix of Jack Johnson and John Mayer ish um, with like a tish of rock, um, like a little bit of a rock influence as well. Um, and then as I got older, it's become a little more ambient as things have uh, progressed a lot more, I would say, emotional, um, a lot. There's there's like a more of a depth to it. Um, so I guess I could say ambient singer-songwriter. Um, and then also, too, I have a new side project. It's called um, Braille and Discipline, and that's kind of my 
one um, my one time shot at trying some some rock stuff out, so I could kind of let loose and try the other side of the coin a little bit. Now, what instruments are playing on the on the rock project? On the rock stuff, uh, it's it's me doing everything you know, like guitars and bass and vocals and all that stuff. And um, yeah, that that's more or less what I'm doing. It's a lot of just you know sitting down writing with my computer. Which thank goodness I have one of those because if I didn't, I don't even know if I could ever record anything. So um, yeah, those are kind of my tools of choice. Two questions. So do you play drums, right? I do play drums. Yep. Are yep. you playing drums on this project, or are you doing kind of MIDI drums? Uh, I'm doing MIDI drums, but it's MIDI and then manipulated, if that makes sense. So it's like preset by the program, and then I'll go in and be like, ah, I want to move this here. You know, totally. this needs to be adjusted. So, yes, to a point. Um, it lays a nice foundation, but then I use the foundation to paint the rest of the picture, if that makes any I, sense. Yeah, I actually even did it on my um, Brackish Waters album. Mm-hmm. I recorded that whole thing in GarageBand, and I used the MIDI to, like, tap in the drum beats and the bass line. Yep. And then instead of, like, moving my rhythm guitar to the, the click track, mm-hmm. I actually moved the beats of the drums to my rhythm guitar well see that's one of the bonuses of it is that there's more flexibility with it because when you're recording i feel like the one of the most challenging instruments to record is live drums i've done it before and it is very it's very challenging to get a good quality take to have it mixed properly and by doing it on a computer you solve all of those problems really quickly no it's totally interesting it's a different approach to uh to music using the computer in that way yeah, but absolutely. Speaking of recording, when I first started, and this is kind of a fun note, um, computer recording was just kind of getting started. I mean, we're talking kind of in like the the early 2000s, you know, mid 2000s. And like recording on GarageBand on a MacBook, you, I mean, you were lucky if, if you could get your hands on that. And uh, a teacher of mine, Mark Perkins, he, he let me um, use his computer from time to time to record some things. But most of the time... I was using this thing called a Boss Four Track Recorder, and it was just this like little uh, this little interface. This little it looks like the size of like a large phone, and you could record four tracks at a time. And that thing was like magic to me when I got it. And now, in comparison, like and this is only like fifteen years ago, and 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 in comparison now, I mean that thing's like a joke in comparison to what we're doing today, you know? Yeah. And it's just I don't know it's mind blowing. So yeah, you know, although it is uh, it is really helpful, it's still really, really new in my opinion. What are you uh, using to record these days? Uh, GarageBand, you know, and, and most people um, probably will, you know, maybe throw their noses up at it or whatever because I know Ableton and Pro Tools are the probably the standard. But for me, it's something that I learned on and it's progressed a lot over the years. And it does what I need to as far as... Um, expressing the ideas efficiently so that's what i use and you compare it to what digital technology was at you know 20 years ago and what pros were using 20 years ago oh I yeah think. which is mind-blowing really yeah yeah so i met you back in 2007 when i came mm-hmm. to north dakota yep we played at the red barn together yep and uh that was a cool experience it was great getting to know you then and then the following year in 2008 we uh, came back to North Dakota and we played, we like toured the whole state, which isn't, isn't Delaware. North Dakota no. is, no. <laughs> North Dakota is a huge state. Um, yeah. and we, we toured like the, the circumference of it basically. And then also went over to Minneapolis area. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us about living in North Dakota. Um, what that, what that's like for you in terms of like the population being isolated from major cities and even from major airports what the weather is like, like, what is that experience like for you? Well, you know, it, it's tricky because, I mean, this it's all I know. So, I mean, I don't know too much different in comparison to other people who have lived in larger cities. But um, it's isolate. But at the same time, when you grow up that way, like, for example, my, my hometown, Scranton, is a population of about 250 people, okay? And most of them are, like, you know, 50 and older. That's a good, that's a good portion of it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the population's like low, but at the same time, you still got people around you. It's just, there's just less, I guess you could say choices. Um, for example, when you're growing up, you have about 10 kids in the nearby area 
And uh, those are your friends, regardless if you like them or not. Those are your friends because that's all you got. And you kind of value them a little more, regardless of your differences, interests or whatever. So in a weird way, it's kind of a positive uh, when it comes to population. You know, you uh, you can become like a tight knit community uh, when you have a small population. You know, a lot of people that are around you, um, you know, your news kind of becomes your neighbor's news in a sense. Um, which is, which is good and bad, but mostly good because you're kind of keeping an eye out on everybody. You're, you're watching each other and you're gauging everybody and you're, you're, uh, helping everybody. So, um, that's kind of my experience as far as, you know, uh, me growing up. But, uh, as far as the weather you mentioned, um, and right now this is a perfect time because the weather over here right now is, is getting cold and is going to be even, uh, much more cold here in the upcoming days. But uh, the, the weather's challenging. Um, you know, we're, we're known to have things like blizzards and, uh, you know, negative, negative temps are very common, especially in January. Um, you know, if it's a zero day, it's not too bad. If it's, you know, in the 20s or 30s, especially during the winter, you're kind of like, oh, man, heat wave. You know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the, uh, the experience a little bit. Um, and actually with that too, and, and for people who aren't really familiar with that kind of cold, because some aren't, you know, um, you, you think it's cold, but really what it is is when it gets like to, let's say, zero and underneath that, yeah, it's it's incredibly uncomfortable. You know, it kind of hurts your face sometimes if you're not bundled up well enough. But really, the thing that I've learned is that zero and like negative 20, as long as there's no wind, they feel the exact same. They're just extremely cold. You really can't tell the difference at that point. The only thing that changes is like how long you can be outside, you know, in comparison from zero to 20. Um, but but really uh, for us, it's all about like where the wind's coming from. You know, if, if, if it's coming from the northwest, it's coming from, you know, Canada. So we're going to get those really Arctic winds, uh, which is what we're about to get right now. So we're going to be dipping into the negatives definitely for most of those days. Um, but yeah, so with, with that, there there is this sense of uh, isolation. I think that's where the isolation really kind of comes into play for like the Midwest and especially North Dakota is because when it gets cold, what do you do? You stay inside. So because you stay inside, because it's cold, you don't get to see a lot of people. So the isolation, um, you know, the the toll that it can take on people socially, emotionally can be a little bit challenging, but it's also character building too. So um Challenging, but I love it. Well, and what do you do, and when it's really cold, and you guys are isolated in, oh man, in your homes, stuck inside. That's how it goes. I mean, yeah, you can go somewhere, but you know, you gotta you gotta watch the weather reports. You gotta watch the road reports. You gotta know you gotta know what's coming, and also how cold it is. I mean, when you're once you start hitting, and you know those negative temps, yeah, travel kind of not necessarily comes to a halt, but I mean, it definitely slows down. People don't go out as much. You're stuck in inside. So for things like, you know, the internet, you know, we're, it's actually something we kind of lean on a lot. It's kind of our way of socializing in a sense. So kind of thank goodness for that. But yeah, when you're, when you're a kid, you either go sledding or you stay inside. To give us context on like where Scranton is in like relation to the, the outside world, if you will, if you were to want to fly to, let's say Los Angeles or New York from Scranton, what would Mm -hmm. that journey look like? Oh, man. Well, Scranton's in the southwest corner of the state. Um, if you're going to like Los Angeles or New York, your best bet is just just drive to Denver. You just got to have to drive to Denver, which that's like a half day of driving. Um, I do believe Bismarck has some flights that you can go to, which is, I mean, which is definitely closer, but you're going to still end up flying to Denver or somewhere like that, you know. And Bismarck is the capital, correct? Yeah, Bismarck's the yeah. capital. Yep. And how far is Scranton from Bismarck? Scranton from Bismarck, I would say, is about two and a half hours. It's two okay. hours and f- seventeen minutes, if I if I remember cor- correctly, from Hedinger, where which is where I'm at now. We used to make that trek a lot. I used to be from Bismarck, but but yeah. So yeah, everywhere you go is you know is about an hour trip or or more. So uh-huh. you know anywhere large, anyways. And what's shopping like for those small towns? Um, well, for us, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with like Dollar Tree. We have like Family Dollar, which is kind of similar. You know, not everything's a dollar, but it's kind of like a, a tiny Walmart. So for here, we have one of those, which actually I'm really thankful to have. 
Because, you know, you do have emergencies. You have those things that you just need to go get that moment. And that works for us. Um, but otherwise than that, it's, you know, you're going to look at, uh, you know, a store like Runnings where you're looking at farm equipment or, you know, things that are a little bit more um, rural-based uh, shopping goods. Uh, you got your grocery stores, you know. Uh, you got, you know, one or two coffee shops if you're lucky. Um, and a few other basic needs like hospitals that luckily in this town we're, we're by a hospital. We have a hospital in the Hedinger. Um, but other towns that are, you know, half hour away, like Scranton, I mean, there's, you know, Hedinger is your nearest hospital and you're going to drive a half hour to it. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. And what is the industry that people do there? Oh, farming. Farming's probably the big cornerstone. Uh, I would say from what I see in Hedinger, it's, you know, it's like farming and then it's going to be, you know, our hospital. That's a really big cornerstone for us here in Hedinger. Uh, I would say the school and there's a few other things like that. But yeah, definitely agriculture is like our big, our big thing here. Do you know much about the agriculture in North Dakota? You know, I know a little bit, but not a whole lot. Uh, being that I was raised in town, even though it's a small town, being that I'm raised in town, I don't know all the ins and outs, but I'm comfortable with it. You know, if I'm talking with a farmer, we talk about, you know, how their year's been going and things like that and talk about how moisture is affecting them, which it's been very, very wet this last year for farmers. Um, they've, I, I, from what I've heard, they've struggled quite a bit because it's so wet, they can't even really work on their crops, which is definitely taking a toll on them, at least some of them for sure. So sometimes too much rain is a bad thing. You know, believe it or not, and, he, and a lot of farmers will probably tell you, well, we don't want to complain about rain because, you know, we rarely do get it, especially in this area. It just tends to run dry sometimes, but it's almost like the opposite side of the coin uh, lately. It's been really wet, but ironically, two years prior, um, we had a burn ban because it was so, so dry. So it's kind of hit or miss, especially lately. It's been kind of, it's been different lately. What kind of crops do you guys grow out there? Oh, corn and wheat. Um, that's a big one. Soy, uh, I've, I've seen a little bit around here. Um, those are some big ones that I see a lot. Um, I'm sure oh. there's a lot of other ones that I'm sure there's farmers out there saying, oh, we're doing these too. But I, I'm not too familiar with what everybody's plan. So what is it like being a creator? Because you're a musician and you're also a designer. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. And with these small spread out communities, does that help someone like you to find clients um, or does it kind of hurt, hurt your opportunity to find clients um, and audience for your music? Um, as far as, and I, and I guess I'll have to answer this in two separate ways because it's, it's a little different for each. Um, as far as design goes, um, my experience has been there's a lot more online work. For example, I do a lot of work with people up in Minot, actually. Um, Minot, Bismarck area, Fargo area. Even though I'm from here, I do a lot of emails, phone calls, and things like that. Um, and in this area, you know, there's not as strong of a need for it. I mean, there's definitely services I've kind of done here and there in the area, but it's not as strong of a need because marketing isn't um, isn't as necessarily um, necessary, <laughs> I guess is the right way to put it. It's not as necessary for businesses around here. You know, as long as you have your name maybe on a sign or, you know, in the phone book or something like that, um, you know, people are going to know what you're doing. So it's not as a desired service. Now, when it comes to music, um, it's also kind of a little, a little different. Um, it's a little more challenging, but it's definitely open. Uh, you know, people would probably stereotype like North Dakota or the Midwest to be less cultured. And, it, and it's not necessarily that this area would be more or less cultured. I would say it's more there's just less creators. So the exposure isn't there, but the appreciation for the work is just as equal. So um, it's just kind of more of a I would not a drought, but something like it, where it's just, it's not as plentiful as many exposures to art and creativity and things like that. So music is a little more challenging to um, get out there and spread and kind of create a following and then also have places to play and all that. So, yeah. So you'd say you have the appreciation for different styles of music, but yeah, not necessarily the audience to support it or even yeah. the content creators, the, the musicians to um, create that music. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's kind of the hard thing because, you know, for me, 
when I grew up and, 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 you know, being from Scranton, being the population's only 250, finding another musician is incredibly difficult. I mean, the other musician that I knew in that town was either my older brother or um, was going to be like friends that I kind of helped teach how to become musicians, you know. So it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't very common. Talk to me a little bit about growing up in a small town in Scranton and building a band um, and some of the experiences around that. Yeah. Um, well, for me, uh, like I said, you know, my brother was a musician. He kind of started in his teens, which is kind of when I did. When he was 13, he started learning guitar. Um, and luckily he could because my mom actually um, had a guitar and learned how to play when she was in college and she kept her guitar. So we kind of got to use that as our, our first try, I guess you could say. Um, but, uh, but yeah, my brother would like start a band and like he had some friends that they played and stuff. And, and this is back, I'd say in the late nineties, maybe early two thousands is kind of what you're looking at as far as timeline. And around that time, bands and things like that were starting to get popular. Like being in a band was kind of starting to become like a cool thing, I guess you could say almost a trend. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, they had their bands and, you know, you want to be like your older brother. So I was like, oh, I want to try that, too. You know, I want to do that, too. So I kind of tried it. And um, I obviously didn't have any pl anybody to play with. You know, there were a couple kids in school when I was, I'd say, a seventh grader that could, you know, kind of play like a drum kit. You know, I, I had, you know, just a little bass guitar. And luckily, my mom was a teacher. So she let us go into the, the music room and we'd try to try to jam, you know, I'd have some type of a riff put together and then I'd kind of show them like, hey, all right, you play this and I'll try to play this. And, you know, we try to do something, I guess you could call it jam. But, you know, the, the, those moments were, you know, far and few, you know. So when mm -hmm. they did happen, you were just like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Like, I want to do this again and do it forever, you know. But, you know, the, you know, sports are really popular and really important around here. And, you know, people are they need help with their farming and they got other things to do. So it just wasn't a high priority. Um, but, uh, with that too, you know, as you get older, you meet, you meet other people. Um, for example, uh, I met a friend named Riley Biggs over in Boma, which is about 15 minutes west of Scranton. And, uh, he was learning how to play bass guitar and I was like, well, I'll learn how to play some. Let's be in a band or something. This is an amazing opportunity. Like it was like striking gold in the middle of a desert. It was just amazing. And, uh, um, you know, he he knew a friend uh, named Cody Mossbrecker who lived two hours away from us um, in Beulah, and he'd come down, you know, during the summer and stuff. So luckily we went over to Scranton and my mom would let us into the band room and we'd try to jam things out. And, you know, it was it was amazing. You know, we got to learn songs that we loved, you know, bands like Blink-182 and things like that. We 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 tried to learn things like that. And it, it was it was awesome. But again, it was far and few. You know, we only, I think, got to jam three or four times and then. And then I think that was it. But it was it was awesome. It was that one moment where you could kind of connect with people on a level other than language. So it was really, for me, in my experience, really special and really exciting. Um, but aside of that, then that kind of falls away. So, you know, like, well, now what do I do? You know, I still want to do this thing. I love it so much. But, you know, it, I can't do it on my own because at the time recording really isn't a thing. I mean, you're lucky if you even can record anything. You, you got to grab like your mom's you know, cassette tape recorder and steal it and try to record some things and play in your room and stuff. But it just, it's not the same. So uh, I had some childhood friends, uh, Jill and Travis Molman, and I taught them both how to play instruments. You know, I taught Travis how to play drums because he showed interest. And then I taught Jill how to play bass a little bit uh, afterwards. And we kind of just made a band and kind of just made it happen. So so that was the thing for quite a while. We ended up being a band called uh, Out of Bullets, very appropriate for the the time era. You know, rock and punk was very pro uh, very prominent as far as what was popular among kids. You know, in the the mid two thousands. But uh, but yeah, so we had this thing, and luckily we could keep it together, and we kept it together for you know three four years, which was again very unique because I the next nearest band was an hour away. So wow. that was, that was kind of my experience, but, um, yeah. So whenever those things would happen, it was just kind of, it was magical is really the best way I can put it. Cause it just, yeah, it just doesn't happen. Um, now in addition to that, 
if I would not have met that band that was from an hour away, I don't know if I would have kept doing music or not, honestly. Um, there, me and um, my two friends, John Travis, we met this group called Two Step Susie. And it was a group of these three guys who were like kind of like garage band kind of styled kids or they're playing like grunge and rock and stuff like that. And either their parents' basement or um, one was in not necessarily an abandoned school, but it was a closed down school in one of the basement rooms. They were able to rent it out. So I got to meet them and kind of jam with them. And my band and their band, we kind of like became this like community. We kind of started feeding off each other and playing shows together. And again, uh, it just more or less heightened how special things were and how unique um, and in my opinion, precious. Um, it was it was super fun. So we'd go to my, we'd play shows, um, and they had, in my opinion, a really supportive community with music, uh, even more so than Scranton. And I don't know if it's because they had a strong um, music outlet due to their school or what, but yeah, the people would show up the at the uh, the theater, and we'd play for a couple hours, and we'd do it again and again each summer, and. It was crazy fun. It became this like self-sustaining community because we created this really special thing that really nobody else had. And you really never heard of because, you know, it's a farming state. You know, you're not going to see a bunch of kids, you know, rocking out on stage um, in an area like this. So. So, yeah, so that was super, super fun. And with that, we we made connections with other people like in, in Hebron, which is like another you know, hour or so away from Mott, you know, and they had bands and then it kind of grew from there into kind of Dickinson and stuff. And it was just, it was amazing, really. So being from a small town and having the luck of just meeting other people who are incredibly talented, really supportive, kind, um, kind of snowballed into this bigger thing. So that was kind of like my first couple of years. So when I met you, you were a solo artist back in 2007, mm -hmm. um, and you played in a lot of bands before that. What was the the deciding factor or the transition point to where you became more of a solo artist um, and didn't play with bands so much? Um, for me, it was, it was actually kind of about a year after I started this thing with the, that Out of Bullets group, that first band I was in with Jill and Travis. Um, it was kind of just an add-on. Like, I wanted to do music a lot, and the type of personality I have, if I really like something, like, I almost become obsessive about it. I just love it so much. And I wanted to do even more. And, you know, Jill and Travis, they wanted to do it, but they also wanted to be, you know, 15 and 16-year-olds and have a normal life, which, I mean, who could blame them? So I had, like, any extra time I had, I started writing um, my own stuff on an acoustic guitar. I actually remember... There was a music teacher we had in town and she was selling her acoustic guitar and it was like a little Walmart, like, you know, real cheapy guitar, but it was a legitimate acoustic guitar, like something you could actually play. And I went and I bought it for 20 bucks and I went home and I actually started writing that very night. And I actually wrote um, my first solo song, which was called Cold Sober, um, which actually around that time I had just met my girlfriend, which is now my wife. And I wrote a song about how her and I met and our relationship that very night. And that was kind of the beginning of my solo stuff. So I kind of wrote, you know, from 06 to, you know, fall of 07. And I started making tunes and eventually releasing stuff. So I was kind of doing the band thing and the solo thing at the same time. So just because I just I wanted more of it. I just loved it all so much. But um. But the thing that kind of helped it going, aside of just not only Two Step Susie and these bands we met, was this thing in Dickinson, North Dakota, which is called Music Mart. Now, it's not there anymore, but at that time, I'd say, I think it started in 05, 04, but uh, between 04, 05 to, I'd say, 2009, maybe 2010, for that brief period, there's this guy named Ken, and he opened up this store called Music Mart. Now, if I'm correct, it has to do with something with his kid, if I'm correct, his kid, you know, uh, got into drinking when they were in their late teens and stuff and it bothered him. So he wanted to kind of create an outlet for kids to do something else. You know, kids want to be social. They want to progress. They want to do things. You know, they want to hone their skills in something. And um, he kind of made this um, music store that would sell instruments to kids, in my opinion, at cost for him. So he wasn't making any money. 
like I would get a guitar, which I still have, and what I use for my most recent album, Exit Strategies, um, that rock stuff. Um, he sold me that guitar for it was six hundred and fifty dollars, and it should have been a grand. He would do things like that for us, like um, like that's how I got to record. Like he would give me these huge opportunities, like the the four track recorder that I was talking about. That was I think like one hundred and eighty bucks. Um, no, it was 180 and then I got it 480 and he just, he's selling it to me because he knows like, we love it. It helps create a better community for the kids, something positive, a positive outlet for him. And he did it for not only me, but all these different kids that would come there. Not only me, two-step Susie, other bands we met like uh head projector, Kelly on firefight and other groups. But he, he created this, this uh, store, this place where we could, you know, play by, uh, by instruments and things like that. And then eventually he created this place called Club 316, uh, Club 316, which was really cool. It was basically just an event area for teens to come in. They could hang out, socialize, play arcade games. The heck, they even had like Xboxes with TVs mounted in the corner walls. Um, so kids could just hang out and play video games. They're just kind of like a safe place for kids. And bands would come and play at nighttime, especially on the weekends and stuff. So it became this like, community and movement and you know especially um because it was popular at that time to like be in bands and like all that rock stuff um it was a really um special and kind of happened in place really so um if i didn't have that support um from like you know people like ken and all those people who would go to those shows and things like that i don't think it would have continued music because you know you have that that guidance and that support that cheering you on of like, all right, yeah, we like what you're doing. Keep going. Like you're creating, you know, these great moments for us or, you know, we enjoy doing this with you or, you know, it's just, yeah, it, it was amazing. It's something that in my hopes, you know, if I get older, if I ever could, I wish I could even create something like as four, like a fourth is the size of what he did for those kids because it's something you don't see around in like my area anymore kids aren't aren't picking up an instrument they aren't you know doing those creative outlets as much especially not in that way for sure and it's just yeah now that i've experienced and see what things are like now after it it's just like wow how lucky were we you know and things yeah. like that so yeah no it, it was it was amazing that that guy put a lot of money a lot of time and a lot of heart into those kids that's really cool yeah do you know whatever became of that um, I think he eventually moved out of Music Mart because Music Mart had a few different places and so did Club 316 and they tried to like keep things going, but it kind of pittered out a little bit. Then he ended up moving out to his farm, like the show was out to a place called The Cavern and they did shows for a while. That was really fun. They even had like food there for people and everything. Um, heck, they used to do radio shows like a Two-Step Susie used to do radio shows in some of their like the two-step uh, or the some of the Music Mart places, they used to perform live on radio and record it. Like I think they even have like a yeah they have a, they have an album out on Spotify and stuff you can listen to. Uh, that's oh, cool. from the radio. Yeah, it, it was amazing what they did. But yeah, he ended up at the Cavern and then eventually he changed it from like a music business to more of like a wedding business, kind of like a reception area where they kind of help you out. And then I think they moved to to the Bismarck area. But then after that, um, that was kind of it. I know he still has hopes. And goals to kind of bring that back and keep that going, but I haven't heard much lately. So that's a really cool thing that you have to be a part of. Oh man, yeah. I, I, any music um, success that I've had, I owe to him as well as like the the Mott group, the Two Step Susie group, because it, it was just this incredibly supportive group of people. You know, they were just happy to see it and happy to see that you were trying to put yourself out there. And, you know, doing something that was challenging and, you know, it was just, yeah, it was awesome. So after the, the Music Mart period, um, mm -hmm. what was next? Well, after that, I kind of started running into people up in Minot. Like um, there is a fellow named Dan Hansen. He was in charge of something called Rock the Leaves. It was um, uh, it's a summer festival that happens up in Minot uh, every year. He did it for... 11 years, I want to say. It was like 07 to uh, 18, I believe. Um, but uh, I kind of met him and uh, started kind of doing shows up there. He had almost an equal, an equally supportive community up there. Minot was a really 
really strong magical like community and i i mean magical to that word um for example you know there were so many places to play um really really supportive people it was kind of almost like the mott group but on steroids but they, it wasn't as tight-knit but it was just everybody loved it and everybody was into it um but yeah, so I was up in Minot, and this is a much bigger town. Like, in comparison to, like, Mott, which is, like, 700, you know, uh, Dickinson being 15,000, it's a little bigger. But Minot, for us, was like, whoa, that's the city. And for us, it's huge, but it's, like, 35,000 people, which um, for for me, you know, growing up in a, a town of 250 people, it's that's the cities. You know, that that's your experience. So it was... It was a really, really neat place to go. And there was a lot of people that were very, very supportive of each other. Like um, like I said, there's Dan Hansen who had his festival. Um, Joe Davis from Trussell Brothers, you you know him. Um, and then also there were a couple other other groups that I got to meet, uh, like uh, Matt Charlie and the guys from Cascade Sun. I got to kind of be in a group with them for just a little bit. Um, and there were some other bands like Eye Apparatus, uh, The Earth and Everything in It, Diabolic Octopus. Um, all those groups, they were all very, um, they were just all playing shows all the time, all the time. And I wasn't even up there very much. I was up there like maybe once a month or so, which, you know, it was a lot of traveling, but I mean, these guys were always playing shows, always doing stuff. And it was just, it was amazing. The, the amount of collaboration and the amount of projects that were coming out of that area in like the, I'd say end of the two thousands era. Um, but, uh, funny enough though, I would say is even though I would say North Dakota is a little more prone to have like rock and things like that is kind of their, their general genre. Um, there was a bit of a shift at the end of the two thousands where things started kind of fading away from rock a little bit. Um, you know, the, the solo artist was kind of becoming a little more popular and I feel like that really was beneficial to me and I'm super thankful for it. There were just, again, a lot of people that were incredibly supportive, but, um, but yeah. And, and, Oddly enough, you know, Minot still got quite a few groups going on up there, quite a bit of a, I guess you could say, scene going on up there. So, yeah, no, that's, that is a magical city. That's for sure. But yeah, those are kind of my, my Minot years. That kind of also blended with me going to college and stuff. That's kind of what I was doing. Yeah. Where did you go to college at? Um, I went to uh, Bismarck State um, College which at, uh, in the past is known as BJC. It was a junior college, but uh, at that time, you know, it eventually turned into a state college where, you know, there's a lot of, you know, two-year degrees, a lot of vocational skills, you know, a lot of things like that that uh, are learned there. I went there for graphic design and communications. Um, school was definitely not my um, forte. I didn't have a lot of passion for it. I kind of struggled with it. Um, and you know, a big push for my mom was, you know, you got to go to college, you know, why don't you try this? You're creative. You need a creative outlet. You know, this can be a job for you. And honestly, I didn't really know what to think of it other than, oh, that, that might be fun. Sure. <laughs> Which now when I look back at it, it's very ridiculous to be kind of like, sure, let's go tack on some tuition bills and things like that. But, but that's what I ended up doing. I ended up going to college there and got my graphic design and communications degree. Um, and that took between two and three years. Mm -hmm. And aside of that, you know, I kept doing music projects. It kind of slowed down a little bit because, you know, you you kind of settle down a little bit. You focus on a little bit more priorities. But um, my experience in Bismarck, uh, the the groups there as far as music were, it was a little bit more sparse. Like there were like groups and there was support, but it wasn't as tightly knit. And the, the places that you could play were always changing because one would open up and then shut down. Another one would open up and then shut down. Um, so at that time, when I moved there, there really wasn't a huge, um, yeah, there wasn't a huge network or at least a lot of places to play for bands. So my connection um, with Bismarck at that time in the early 2010s, or, there wasn't a lot going on. Now, I met a few great groups like Borealis Garden and like Jimmy Geffro, like the Geffro Brothers. And like I've heard of uh, groups like Juniper Drive who are who are now there and things have changed since since I've been there. I've been seeing a lot more community. There's places like Rhythm Records where people are playing shows and breweries and stuff. So that's kind of changed and evolved since I've moved out of Bismarck after college. But um, but yeah. So now you're in a position where you're recording a lot at home. Um, mm -hmm. You're releasing solid albums for your listeners mm -hmm. to listen to. 
and you're doing paraeducation. Tell me about paraeducation and what that is. Um, well, paraeducation, it's basically like an aid, uh, basically like a teacher's aid. So if there's certain kids in the classroom that need, um, you know, uh, adjustments or changes in the curriculum, or if they just need a little bit of extra help, that's kind of what paraprofessionals are for. Um, also too, sometimes teachers just need an extra hand in the classroom. You know, sometimes classrooms are too big. Um, you'll see them a lot in special education, things like that. So, um, yeah. And, and honestly, they're, they're becoming a lot more popular. I'd say within the last 10 years, schools are really now leaning a lot on paraeducators because how much more individualized we can get with a student's education because of paras. We can we can kind of aid them a little better, and also the teachers can um, kind of do what they're they're doing better. It's just it's just more hands on deck, so then we can all help a little more. That's cool. Is it is it like a tutor situation, or are you help helping them more with like their their mental and emotional uh, condition? It varies. Um, you know, there's some paras that are just there in like what you would call a resource room. Yeah, kind of tutoring, helping students kind of stay on task. And and other people, you know, they need they need a lot of changes, uh, a lot of adjustments. You know, for example, I help a student who is, uh, I guess, I, I, hearing impaired is not the correct word, but that's what some people would identify it as. He's deaf. Um so I help them with like academics, but also I help them learning uh, with learning sign language and things like that. And there's other students who need more like emotional help, things like that. So it really varies. The gamut's really wide. How do you, as a paraeducator, get training? How do you continue training in education? Um, are you supported on your own or does the district support you for that? Our district supported us. They, they're connected with a company called uh, West River Student Services and they provide training for paras, especially for their first year. They actually have two trainings that they have to go to, uh, one in the fall and one in the spring. And then once they go through that, then they're they're good. And if I'm correct, I think there's additional training. Um, they're always super supportive in trying to let us know what's out there. Um, but yeah, a lot of it's um, done by the district. It's more kind of like, well, here, go do this. Here, this is really good for you. Check this out. Um, so things like that. So what is it like being a dad, working as a paraeducator, being a designer and a musician, how what is it like to balance all that? How do you record your music? How do you find the time for that? Uh it's it's very challenging. Um but but still worth it. Like I, you know, it's kind of like if you want it, you're going to find a way to get it done to do it. Um for me, you know, I work work as a para full time. That's, you know, easily 40 to 45 hours a week. You know, that's, that's with also being a tech admin there. So I guess spend a little extra time there too. Um, and then being a dad that takes every, every minute you can. Um, I also go to college cause I want to be a special education teacher. Um, so that takes time, uh, also being, uh, the designer working with clients, managing emails. Um, I would say for most of those things, the internet, um, technology has made it manageable. Um, but a lot of it is a, uh, in my opinion, a rock solid routine. For example, you know, college, I do uh, homework on certain nights, um, graphic design stuff I'll do late at night when everybody's sleeping, um, and music, which this was the one I'm, I honestly would say I'm most proud of is just because, you know, that's, that's a luxury thing. That's a hobby. That's nothing required. That's, that's something you just do for fun. So making time for that is even more difficult um, to, to be able to do that and then balance what's what's important, which is the priorities of your family and your job and your work. Um, like right now, my wife and my daughter are probably taking a nap. So that is usually my time when I can go do whatever I need to get done because they'll maybe take a nap for about an hour, an hour and a half or so. And that's when I can go downstairs into my makeshift studio, if that's what you want to call it. and I'll you know, just put in an hour's worth of time. And that hour is what I get. So whenever I'm writing an album, especially the last two, which is, you know, exit strategies and, um, begin, um, exit strategies being my, my, uh, my new side project, um, underneath the moniker of, um, Braille and discipline, and then begin being my, my new album underneath my solo project. Um, both of those albums were made really an hour at a time. I just go down, I put in the time that I could, and then that was it. 
And when you're doing that in the creative process, you get really good and really picky about what you can and cannot do. You get really, um, you know what's going to work and you only do the things that you feel confident in. When you take risks, they're calculated risks. Um, sometimes it can be really frustrating because, for example, you know, I've had many times where I'll go downstairs and I'll sing my heart out and I don't keep any of the takes. And, you know, when your time is really limited and an album takes, you know, a couple months to put together, it can be a little taxing, even demotivating. Um, so, you know, yeah, it, it, you know, having about an hour at a time to put together tracks. Yeah. is very challenging, especially for vocals. Vocals are, are very, very tricky. Um, I think that's why exit strategies took so long to do because it was such a vocal challenge, um, with a lot of like high pitched singing, screaming and things like that. You know, you can't just do that. You know, you got to build your muscles up to do that. So when you only get an hour Everything, like every move is not necessarily calculated, but it's, it's very like, you know, you don't waste time. You know, when you sit down, it's time to work kind of a situation. So yeah, it's very challenging, but I feel like I found a process that works for me and especially my family and all my other responsibilities. So, and honestly, if it wasn't for my wife giving me that free time, none of that would get done. That's impressive, man. Yeah. It's, it's, if you love it, you find a way, right? Like you, you don't get to decide your interests. You just, they just happen and they just, you gravitate towards them. And if you love them enough, you'll, you'll figure it out. You'll make it work. Yeah. When you got great people around you that support what you do, it's yeah. makes everything a lot easier. Awesome. How can we find your music? Um, how, how, how are you getting it out there to people and distributing it? Um, for me, uh, I'm using the internet. I'm using, you know, Spotify, Apple music, all the major, major streaming services on YouTube, but you can find me, um, Joel Janikowski, J O E L J A N I K O W S K I. I know it's a mouthful, but, um, you can search that and you'll find my stuff on any of the major streaming services. Um, if you're looking, I do strongly suggest you check out my newest album begin uh, that I wrote and finished in 2018. So it was two years ago this month. Um, but I still love that album so much. It's a very ambient and healing album. It's, everything's very careful uh, when you listen to it. So it's great background music as well as really good vibe music for people. If you want to kind of just put your headphones on and get lost a little bit. So, um, so yeah, so if you're looking for my solo stuff, I strongly recommend my newest one, Begin. It is by far my favorite solo work. Um, yeah, definitely by far. And then my other stuff, which is my newest album, which released in November of 2019, so just a few months ago, um, it is called Exit Strategies. It's by the group Braille and Discipline, and it is still just me uh, doing all the stuff, but uh, I wanted to make it a separate project, being that it's so different from... Uh, what I do as a solo artist. So that's where you can find me. It's a, it's a lot of aggressive 10 out of 10 high energy stuff. Very, very epic. So if you're into that stuff, especially rock from the, the, the early, early two thousands, mid two thousands, if you love that stuff, um, I, I strongly recommend you go check that out. Do you have any projects in the, on the back burner or that you're looking to work on? in the future uh yeah there's they kind of been popping up ever since i've been doing these last two albums um my brother-in-law actually which he's the the vocalist of two steps Susie, um him and i are working on a project together called very much so um and that's hopefully the next thing that we're going to be doing um also randomly a guy from minot again the magical city um he this guy named zane i think it's nice or niece he reached out to me and he was like, Hey, I love your album. And I think your voice would be awesome on this album that never got finished. Me and my friends uh, wrote this album instrumentally, but we don't have a vocalist. And I was like, of course, of course I'll do it. It'll be fun. So um, I'll be kind of slowly working on that. And then um, there's some other back burner projects that I got going on with Braille and discipline. I have an extra, I'd say, at least eight songs yet that I could release. I just got to sit and polish them up, make them pretty. And, and then with my solo stuff, I'm, I'm looking at taking a look at, uh, at possibly some more folk, almost country. I wouldn't say country, but almost country sounding stuff. So something very different. So something, something very fun. So, yeah. 
Cool, man. You need yeah. some cowboy boots? <laughs> you know, there's maybe uh, th- there's something new that I found in in like country and folk and all that stuff. Because when I was growing up, you know, being in the rock realm, you you know, that's that's the opposite side. You know, that's the other team. You don't you know you don't bat for the other team, or you don't you know you don't support that. But as I've gotten older, I found this new really awesome depth to like folk and country and that Southern stuff, you know, um, like Ray LaMontagne really kind of opened that up for me and a couple other artists as well. Um, so it's, it's intriguing to me. And if I can hopefully do it, not terribly, maybe you'll hear some. So cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Got to try it. Right. Yeah. I want to, I want to hear that. I want to hear some, uh, some Joel Danikowski country (laughs) covers. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Do you have any interest in sharing your design website? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Always, always looking for work. You know, um, with my graphic design, that's that's kind of my bread and butter for uh, for being able to go to college and become a special ed teacher. So absolutely, um, love helping people. Love helping them create a brand or identity for themselves. You can find my design stuff at ltlmountain.com. That's ltlmountain.com. Um, and you can see all my work. You can contact me there. I'd be more than happy to help anybody with services. So, yeah. Great. Well, it's been great to have you on American Podcast, Joel. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much. And I really hope this podcast thing keeps going for you. I hope we're, I hope you're gaining some more momentum. And I don't know. It's a very, very awesome thing. It's, I think it's an underrated thing to have conversation anymore it's very special so i hope i hope this keeps supporting that appreciate that man that's awesome i do too yeah all right well have a great day joel and we'll look forward to your next projects sounds good thanks so much thank you for joining us for this episode of american podcast make sure to subscribe check out the other episodes and leave a review feel free to reach out and follow us on social media If you feel so inclined, you can leave a tip at Venmo.com forward slash Shane Simonson or become a Patreon supporter at Patreon.com Shane Simonson. Any support is appreciated. Thank you for listening. This is Shane Simonson signing off until next time.